Welcome to the podcast for the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva. UUSG is an inclusive community, one that draws wisdom from all the world's religions, balanced with the insights of modern science. We seek to build a diverse, beloved community within our virtual walls and hope to inspire and accompany one another as we act for peace and justice in our larger world. The Reverend Scott Hall is a minister in the UU tradition. Coming from a career in information technology, Reverend Scott attended seminary to pursue lifelong interests in what he calls life's big questions. He joined UUSG as the settled minister in 2020. Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva. We seek to meet you wherever you are on your journey and invite you to be part of this congregation in which we draw wisdom from all of the world's religions balanced with the insights of modern science. We seek to build a diverse, beloved community within our virtual walls and hope to inspire and accompany one another as we act for peace and justice in our larger world. After that, I feel like I'm going to apologize for what I'm about to do to you, so... Bear with me. (sighs) Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Thank you. I'm here all year. Please remember to tip your ushers. It may come as a great shock to you, but I am not perfect. It's a problem, and it's something I'm working on. I joke about it, but I think that at some point, it's not really that funny. It's serious. For many of us, being perfect is a problem. For some of us, being perfect is a barrier to happiness and to personal satisfaction, to interpersonal relationships, to professional life. You've heard me talk about the good news about perfection. As my mentor, the Reverend Dr. Carl Gregg teaches us, we are all saved. Yes, we are all saved from perfection. I suppose that's another way of saying we are all human beings. We are all flawed. And that is not only okay, but it is a perfectly normal place to start from. Maybe perfection is somewhere we all end up. Wouldn't that be great? But in the meantime, It means that we are, well, we all have room to get better for everyone, in everyone. There's room for more, for growth, for learning. For me, just as for each of us, there are things I don't know and want to, things that I don't know and need to, things that I don't know, but if I did, I would be better and life would be better not just for me, but for those around me. For example, I'd like to be Captain America. 
any Marvel superhero fans out there. I confess, I grew up reading comic books. In my youth, I believed that Captain America, or Cap, as his friends call him, Cap had it all. Strength, respect, cheekbones, and he looked great in spandex. Cap was a man's man, especially in the Marvel movies, at least. Cap was confident and daring, and he always stood up for the little guy. If I was more like Cap, I wouldn't have let my friends tell blatantly racist jokes. I wouldn't have let my friends and classmates put people of color down, lift up racist stereotypes, or perpetuate systems of oppression. I wouldn't have stood idly by. If I was more like Cap, I'm sure that I would have done something. But I, I'm not Cap. I'm trying to be more like him. I suppose you could say I'm still practicing. We say that practice makes perfect. And author Malcolm Gladwell suggests that mastery comes sometime after 10,000 hours of practice. I don't have 10,000 hours of practice confronting racism. This is a work in progress for me. And I bring this up here now because today is the first Sunday in Black History Month. To honor this, my colleagues of color have asked me, specifically asked white ministers, to not exceptionalize an African-American icon. The contributions of Black Americans are things that we're asked to celebrate every Sunday. Instead, this month, my Black colleagues have asked us white ministers to say something meaningful, to practice and talk about race to people that look like me, to you. So that's what I'm going to do. But first, let's do our thing. With our mics still muted, I'm going to ask you to try and remove that Zoom. I'm going to move the spotlight. Let's go ahead and reach up to your screens if you can and hit that button in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, one that says view. And I want you to pull that menu down and click on the word gallery. You'll know you've got it right because the screen will suddenly fill up with a ton of little boxes. Now, looking at all of those faces, your community, and in the spirit of our friend, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss, the third of Trinity Church here in Chicago, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, oh neighbor, we are saved from perfection. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I went to high school. Looking at me now, I understand if this is difficult for some of you to imagine, but as far as I can tell, it actually did happen. I'm going to stretch your credulity just a bit farther and say that I was an athletic kid. Very athletic. I used to do all the sports. And by all the sports, I mean I was a member of the chess club. My best friend was Jay. Jay played tennis. Back then, tennis wasn't as cool as football or volleyball or even water polo, but Jay was good at it. 
My grandfather played tennis. My uncles played tennis. I, I didn't play tennis, but maybe this is one of the reasons I thought tennis was cool. Tennis was one of the things Jay and I bonded over, that and chess, because that's where we hung out, chess club. But one day, toward the end of my freshman year, another friend told a racist joke as we were leaving school. Uh, I'm pretty sure I laughed. I can say that the reason that I laughed was because the teller was a cooler kid and I wanted to be liked. I can say that I laughed because I was young and dumb and didn't know any better. It doesn't matter. Jay was there in the room. Jay, my best friend. Jay, my best friend who was black. Jay never said anything to me about it. In fact, he never said anything to me again. The school year ended a little while later, and I didn't realize it at the time, but our friendship ended that day in chess club. The day I didn't say anything to that jerk that made the joke. The day I didn't say anything to Jay. The day I never apologized. The day I laughed. This is not my favorite memory. With the Black Lives Matter moment all around us for these last several years, I, like many of you, have been looking for ways to understand, to be an ally, to get better. As part of my arc of learning and listening, I've been reviewing the tape, if you will, combing my memories and experiences and asking myself hard questions. Occasionally, I come across a real gem and no. While I appreciate your grace and support, that's not why I brought the story up. The point is very simple. I got it wrong. And now, when I do run across such moments in my past, what I try to do is, again, fairly simple. I ask myself what I could have done. What would Captain America have said or done? And maybe next time, I'll choose that different path. This isn't the only thing I do, but it is one of the things I do. Maybe you do something like it. I expect that each of you listening to me here today have chosen some level of engagement with issues of race or are looking for ways to engage. And I want to acknowledge that breadth of experience. Here today, there are those who have spent literal lifetimes not only engaged with the work, but leading that work. And there are some of us who have not. I don't have any judgment about that. But what I want to say today to understand is that there are many ways in to the work of anti-racism, many places to start or start again. And that perhaps it's that latter part, the start again part, that's the most important part, because no matter what you've done to date, if you are an American, you, we, are never really done with race. My friend and colleague, the Reverend Rika Kaufel, an American immigrant who was born and raised in post-war Germany, puts it this way, quote, racism in America is like Nazism in Germany. The way I understand her is that facing that history, our history, is hard. It may mean acknowledging we got it wrong. 
It may mean challenging some fundamental assumptions we have about our identity. But here's the problem. If we fail to face our history, the forces that made that history possible will continue to lurk, continue to have influence, and continue to create harm. So how do we address this? This morning, what I'd like to suggest is that one of the problems we have with talking about race is that we have the wrong paradigm for it. Jay Smooth is a social critic and New York City DJ. And in a recent TED Talk, he said that when white people are asked to explore our behavior in the light of racism, our reaction is rather consistent. We react as if it's our character that is under indictment. Smooth suggests that it is our American perfectionism rearing up when we say, wait, what I said wasn't racist because I am a good person, or I can't be racist, I have black friends, or I have been a leader on these issues for forever, and I know what is racist and what is not. Perfectionism is that quiet voice that says that, quote, we must be right all the time, or we are not good people. If that feels funny to hear it said out loud, that's because it is. We are not perfect. We cannot be perfect. As I said in the opening, we are all saved from perfection. And we need to let go of the idea that getting it wrong means that we are broken, unworthy, or evil. Anyway, one of the things that we're getting wrong, I think, is that we're thinking of racism like it's tonsillitis. Coming back to DJ Smooth, he says, quote, you either have tonsils or you don't. And if you've had them removed, you never have to think about them again. Me? Oh, no, I can't be racist. I had my racism removed back in 2005. Obviously, this is not how things work. It's worth mentioning that we all have wiring, lizard brain type stuff, wiring that makes us react in ways that we're not aware of. When we go through our day-to-day, -day, we have lots and lots of experiences, and those experiences interact with our wiring in ways that cause us to collect biases, like plaque on our teeth. Perhaps what we need to do is move from a tonsillitis paradigm for talking about racism toward a dental hygiene paradigm. Brushing and flossing are important for dental health, right? We don't just do that once and then we're done forever, do we? I mean, look, I know pandemic life has changed some of our personal hygiene regimens, but no, ooh. Brushing, flossing, racism, these are things we white people must address regularly. And yeah, I'm being silly because it's maybe humor that we'll finally get through. So this brings me back to the work of re-engaging with anti-racism because 
regardless of who you are, what you've done to date, if we make engaging with racism and race and racism as a part of an ongoing project, I believe we can and each should come up with a constructive way to engage and re-engage. One that meets us wherever we are today on the arc of our own personal learning trajectory. Uh, recommendations I've always been given are to keep it simple. Consider starting or starting again with a good book. I'm sure many of you have at least some and some of you have quite a few. I will confess I'm not big on shame and call out culture. So my preferences may be a little out of step with some of my colleagues. But I have found that centering the voices of those that have been historically silenced and marginalized, that is a pretty good rubric for this learning. Now, I'm a fan of the work of American University professor, Dr. Ibram Kendi. His book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is just excellent, and it's remarkably clear. He explains that by and large, being an anti-racist is far more about doing anti-racism. The question for most of us is this, are our thoughts, words, or deeds racist or anti-racist? That's interesting because that's all there is. There's no thoughts, words, and deeds that are quote, not racist. There's no middle because there is no avoiding racism if you are an American. Racism affects everyone and everything around you. There is no middle position. The good news, according to Dr. Kendi, is that we're not talking about character. The point is not whether you are a racist. Sure, there are white supremacists. We saw them last month posting selfies while desecrating the Capitol. Beside the point. The point Dr. Kendi is making is about you and your actions. This action of yours was racist, but the next one doesn't have to be. The goal, you might say, is to, quote, do less racism. Now, if all of this is hard to hear, and I admit it is hard to hear, that's okay. That's part of the point. Phrases like, quote, white supremacy culture and, quote, white fragility are hard to hear. And again, that's part of the point. The point is not that this or should be marginalized. And we're not supposed to be marginalizing, shaming, or harassing anyone into silence. That's actually kind of the opposite of the point. The point is to force us today to engage, to think, to play that tape, to imagine what Cap would say, to practice, to create a better personal hygiene regimen. Through thought, word, and deed, we are being asked to help, to co-create a more just and equitable world. That's something I'm down with, even though I'm uncomfortable. Because listening past my own discomfort is also part of the point. And that is something I'm still learning to do. So I've got a book recommendation. And as a faith that believes in salvation through bibliography, I know we all love collecting books. And after we've got our books, we can create a book club, something to talk about those books. We've done some of those here. And maybe we're ready to do some more. Pre-pandemic, we had Friday flicks. Maybe we're ready to do some more of those too. 
Today, there are seminars and university classes kind of all over about race, racism, and systems of oppression, some of which have been based on Dr. Kendi's work. There are also organizers out there looking for help. There are legislators waiting to hear from us and communities that are hoping that communities like ours care enough to help. So how can we go from buying books to making real change? I'm glad you asked. When I was a seminary student, we had a saying, act yourself into a new way of thinking. Act yourself into a new way of thinking. The central idea is that through action, we can reshape thought. There is good data to back this up, and this is one of the ideas that sits behind corporate team building exercises. Human beings, after working together to attempt some difficult task, will be more kind, more understanding, more sympathetic, more compassionate to those in the group, even those they have previously disagreed with. Change in heart and mind comes through shared action. It is in this spirit that I invite you to consider joining Beloved Conversations. For those of you that are hearing about this for the first time, Beloved Conversations is a multi-week, multi-session program that explores the issues and experiences of race in both our personal lives and in our community aspirations. For this time of pandemic, the course has been completely revised and is now fully online. Written by UU's for UU's Beloved Conversations has been explored by over a thousand people across more than 250 congregations. The program invites us individually and collectively into a conversation, one that asks us to explore who we are, where we come from, and who we want to be. Perhaps most importantly, it teaches skills to help us identify the conscious and unconscious toxicity embedded in our shared American culture, and then to do something about it. Commitment to Beloved Conversations is a big ask. It's a lot of time. Whether you think of this commitment as part of your own personal arc toward 10,000 hours of practice is up to you. But I think exploring, quote, doing anti-racism is worth our time. I think our community is worth it. Registration is happening this month, and no, this will not be the only opportunity to engage with this class or with this work. This class will be running periodically. So again, not everything is for everyone. So if you can't manage this, that's okay. Perhaps you can the next time around. But if you are able to, or if you are curious, there are some details in the Mini Pioneer. Please know that there is a cost that's associated with this. Feel free to reach out to me or to Christine if you have any questions about that. We may be able to help. Now, as we turn to the close, remember, when it comes to race and racism, like all of the big things in life, we must expect that we are going to get it wrong. I have gotten it wrong. Despite what I'm saying to you, and I apologize for that again, while I may aim at perfection, I am disappointingly still not a Marvel superhero. What I'm suggesting, what I'm hoping, is that with a commitment to practice, maybe we can collectively start to get it less wrong 
about race. Rabbi Tarfon, quoted in the Talmud, writes that, quote, it is not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. We are not perfect. In fact, we are saved from perfection. The world is not perfect. Nevertheless, we are called to make it less imperfect. That work is what we mean by, quote, creating beloved community. And in that work, all of us need all of us to make it. That is our faith. Amen. Thank you for listening. You are always welcome to join the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Come as you are. We look forward to meeting you. Visit us at uusg.org for more information about us, our worship services, and where you can find us on social media. Hope to see you soon.